measles and meningitis when the world starts to open up again. When you call your pediatrician to schedule their checkup, it's a superhero moment. Call your pediatrician today. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. At least I'm in the studio. Merle Kelch is on location. I'm Tom King. Merle joins us from the Palatial Kelch Estate in northern Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning to you. And uh, the furnace has kicked on this morning. It is definitely uh, going. Um, fall is in the air, and uh, she's a little chilly. But you know what? It feels fantastic to be here. Indeed. And the phone lines are open. Merle, despite not being here in the studio, can take your questions. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. I was reading that uh, with the uh, inflation rate uh, spiking a bit like it is, it means at least one positive thing for people who uh, collect Social Security. The cost of living adjustment for next year is going to be the largest in 40 years. Of course, that's tied into the inflation rate. Do you, when you're dealing with your clients, do you even care about what their Social Security payments are every year? Does that even uh, enter into what you're doing for them, or is that something Boy, that's absolutely. separate? Yeah, absolutely. You know, here, here's one of the things. What's interesting is, um, and I discovered this, God, I've been doing this 30 years, Tom. Um, I remember when I was the you know the young kid on the block, and you know now I'm turning into the old guy that all the young kids used to ask questions about, and so they're asking me questions. Weird. So I just make stuff up for them. To <laughs> but, um, but, but you know when you look at this, once you get out of an urban era area, the more and more rural you get, the more and more Social Security becomes um, the bulk of, if not all of, somebody's retirement dollars. So we have to know what Social Security is. Um, so from my standpoint, when we work with clients, we start planning on where their dollars are going to come from. Um, Social Security becomes somewhat of the backbone, backbone in the sense that we say, okay, what is your budget going to look like um, during retirement? Do you need, uh, and I'm making up a dollar amount here, you know, do you need $4,000 a month in hand? And if Social Security between husband and wife represents 2500 of that, well, we need to have then 1500 that's going to come from another source, whether it's going to come from something like uh, rents or work or dollars from investments. Um, so we need to know what Social Security is going to be. And then I always like to put a little bit of a buffer in there because we don't know where Social Security is going to go in another 10 years. So is it going to come back as it's projected? Is it going to be 70% of what Social Security is now for that dollar amount? Is it going to come backwards? Are the new ones? We don't know what's going to be the answer to that yet. But Social Security is, a back, is really a backbone. So when we see the you know the labor numbers and the adjustments coming up to, I think it was 5.4%, Tom. I'm going from memory here. I don't have an article in front of me. But um, I think it's 5.4%. It's a nice increase. It hasn't been there for a long time just because inflation has been up. And with the inflation being up so much in wages, it's a nice jump for those on Social Security. So what does that do as far as uh, what you're doing and setting up their portfolio? Does that change anything that uh, you do for their portfolio since they are getting that nice bump? Um, it depends upon the client. Um, you know, sometimes in here, and I'm getting a little bit off, but this will come back to it. You know, sometimes in our business, um, we, we still have to save money even though a person's already retired. Uh, you know, for example, we had some clients, we had them all ready to go for retirement and and, uh, you know, life is good, it's all ready to go, they retire, and then three months later they throw a, a cog into the machine or a wrench into the cogs, if you will, uh, for old Merle here because we had a buffer account designed for them in case something happened. And they went out and didn't tell me, and they emptied out the buffered account and bought a house in Arizona didn't tell me. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, and they said, oh, now we need more money. I'm like, well, there, there, there isn't. You know, we, we have you set up. You spent all the buffer money. And so then we had to go through as things changed and interest rates um, got better on, on uh, income from certain investment products, we said, okay, we're going to re- essentially refinance how their investments were to generate a higher dollar amount of income needed um, from the investments, but we kept their income the same that they brought home, but that allowed us to refill a buffer account up again 
in case something happened, you know, raises, the roof is going to leak, the car is going to break down, that sort of thing. And uh, no more we get that done. We made a little bit of money, and all of a sudden uh, uh, they start tapping into it again. So Merle had to shake the naughty finger at him, say, all right, stop it. So in here, in those types of inve- uh, instances, where the raise of Social Security, um, as well as the raise of the underlying investments, because we've had such a tremendous last year and a half, um, they got a raise. And uh, so from that raise, we didn't capture the whole raise. We kept their income the same, but let that additional money go back in the accounts to refill stuff back up again um, so we get them so they can uh, fight another day. And unfortunately, it's probably going to turn into another house again or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah, but, you're going to have to fire them as a client maybe, huh? Oh, I love them, but, boy, they're a lot of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, and, it's, and it's not an asset problem. It's a spending problem. Yeah. But, well, I would um, imagine a lot, of, a lot of people have that. Um. Some, you know, there's some that are out there, you know, that, that have that. that certainly make my job a lot more challenging. Um, but in here, when you get a nice raise like this in Social Security, it helps create that buffer. Um, it puts a, little, a couple extra bucks in everybody's hand, and, and nobody's upset when there's a couple extra bucks in their hand. How many people come to you with an actual plan in hand as far as a budget or know what their bills are going to be or even think about those things when they get close to retirement? Yeah, surprisingly, Tom, most people know what they spend each month. Not exactly. Um, uh, it's, it's easier when somebody comes in and he says, well, geez, I don't know how much we're spending. Um, those clients are actually easier than somebody who actually knows the dollar amount. And the reason is because if somebody says, we don't know how much we spend, it's usually because there's a big excess and they don't have to worry about the dollar amount. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. So then we just have to capture where that money's going. And usually it's going to restaurants and, uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so what we do then is we simply say, okay, this is how much you're spending. Um, we're going to start saving X and you may not notice um, if we're saving X, and if it's okay for a couple of months, we're going to increase it to uh, to Y, um, we're gonna, and then keep going up and tell me when it hurts. And so then we find out how much they have elasticity in their budgets. We know then where that number is. So then we adjust it from there and then start the savings from that. Um, uh, but uh, surprisingly, most people know. I'm certain if you uh, talk to you and your bride, whoever does the, the numbers, you know that we need to have uh, X number of thousand dollars per month to make sure all the uh, the lights turn on and the Bridge has food now, that kind of stuff, except you, for the factors you don't know, like when the kids come home from college. You'd be surprised. Yeah, okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about then when somebody gets close to retirement age and they start looking at Social Security and they start looking at um, what they have invested and they realize they're going to be short, uh, what's the plan at that point? You know, what's interesting is, is rarely do we have our person comes up and says, I'm going to be short simply because uh, most people, again, have an idea what the numbers are, generally kind of know where they are. Um, and if they say, oh, geez, I'm going to be short, they say, well, I can't afford to retire right now. I have to wait. Either I have to continue to work until Social Security becomes higher, um, or I'm going to have to have a part-time job doing something that's different than what I'm doing now. Uh, and most people kind of know that. My job really kind of comes in, quite honestly, is um, saying, okay, how are we going to uh, create the mix of investments uh, to generate that extra income, or I help people facilitate making it go from investment A to investment B and then into the checkbook. Um, so that's well, some of the biggest part of what our job is. But most people kind of know that number already. Um, sometimes it does stink where you tell people your your income for retirement is going to be half what it is right now. They don't like it, but generally you'll have husband or wife or both go, yeah, well, we kind of thought that, but that's what we're going to live on. So, um, But generally people already have an idea of where it's going to be. 715-845-2155. You know, the old uh, thinking was that uh, 
before retirement, uh, heavily weighted uh, in stocks, after retirement, heavily weighted in bonds. Is that still yeah. the rule of thumb, or has that changed over the years? Well, what's interesting is when I first got into this industry back in the 1980s, <laughs> um, you know, when you go through your licensing, that was almost a, a precursor. You had to have it memorized that when a person turned 65 or 67, you had to use you know this many bonds. In fact, there's old rule of thumbs that are out there, and I'm not telling you folks to go out and use this, but this has been our industry for a long time. You take your 100 and subtract your age, and that should be the percentage that you have in the stock market. Um, so then, obviously, as you get older, you have a smaller and smaller percentage going into the stock market. Well, the, the trouble with that is we're getting older. You know, when when uh, we retired at 65 and our life expectancy was 68, retirement investment planning for retirement was bleeding easy. Yeah. You, you weren't going to make it. Well, you can't do that anymore because you know, if you hit uh, an attained age of 62 between husband and wife, you know, that's averaging your two together. Um, there's a, over an 85% probability that one of you is still going to be alive by age 90 until you can't put all of your money inside of bonds because they want inflation adjust. We can't use CDs. You know, you, you look at it. If you take a, a CD right now, Tom, and everybody listening, the logic is easy in here. Um, if you get a, a five-year CD or a four-year CD and they're, maybe they're paying you two and a quarter to two and a half percent, but inflation right now is 5.4, you're going backwards. We haven't even put taxes into it yet. So we have to continue to have it growing and making money over the course of the years. We just have to make sure that we're doing everything we can do to make sure it's diversified and spread out, and then based upon the risk of you as an individual. You know, you, uh, for example, Tom, might have a different um, risk parameter or sleep factor, you know, the amount that you have, than somebody else. You know, so everybody has their own difference of opinion on that. Well, they have drugs for that, though, to make you sleep. Even, yeah. even when you... <laughs> I, maybe I need to have a prescription when I'm, you know, working with clients now. Yeah, we have a client, for example, that um, and obviously can't say his name, but folks, if I did, everybody here would know what what his business was. And if finally, at the age of, of uh, 84, he's retired, so he's done. So he's done well for himself. His family's doing well. They're they're not going to starve and and lose money that whole bit. But they're driving our compliance department absolutely crazy. Because he wants to keep buying this one stock, and he loves the stock. He loves the background. He loves their balance sheet. He loves what they're doing. Um, he's done a mountain of research, and he wants to keep buying this one stock. And our compliance department keeps going, well, why would a person 84 want that? Said, well, because he wants it, and uh, he's you know, doing well with it. Um, and uh, they're going absolutely crazy over, over this stock because he's 84 years old and wanting to buy it. Well, can't, he so, just, can't you just you give go. him a piece of paper and have him sign it saying, I realize that I'm going against the advice of counsel and uh, that uh, I'm still going to do it? It sounds like you wrote that paper for me, Tom. <laughs> uh, because, yes, we have done that, um, but uh, he still wants to buy in our compliance department. still going crazy. So maybe it's just that our compliance department is crazy. That might be another thing. Oh, they're going to be listening so to what, this I mean, what, uh, <laughs> what uh, investments would be prudent for an 84 year old who has done well and is set up well i mean what do you look what do you look for uh if if you're not going to go heavy bonds and 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 lesser stocks what else is out there well the the interesting thing in here is it's not that um, his portfolios are 100 percent stock at 84 that's not the issue the issue is that he just has so much of it in one stock yeah okay because that just becomes the recipe for your portfolio to be whipsawed all over the place so we have a lot of portfolios for our clients, for clients that are in our, you know, 70s and, and uh, even going up into the 80s. Uh, in fact, at one point in time, we had a client that was in his 90s, and the portfolio was almost all entirely stock, but it was diversified. So 
they were diversified between multiple asset groups, whether it was individual stocks or uh, multiple funds between multiple asset groups and properly diversified and measurable. Um, and so that part of it's not an issue. Some clients just do not want to own bonds at all. They only want to have the equity accounts in equity accounts, for example, uh, uh, that pay dividends. And so they'll live off the dividends largely and let the portfolio do what the portfolio do, does. Um, so, so that's okay. But in this instance, it was too much in one stock, and that became the issue. We only have to remember back to the Enron days to know how dangerous that can be. Yeah. 715-845-2155. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call here this morning. We'll be right back on WSAU. All right, crew. Let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small, make me a firefighter.org. Right now. Headed for even more chaotic times. Things in Washington. Republicans. Democrats. Are awfully noisy. Political background noise. Stand up. Make some noise. You turn on the news. Leaders calling on violence. And every conversation is a confrontation. Get in people's face. Every disagreement is a crisis. There is a crisis at the border. Climate change crisis. A national. Keep calm. Crisis. Keep it on. We all want answers. News Talk. WSAU. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location today, but he can take your questions. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. With the inflation rate doing what it's doing, I would imagine a lot of people want to find, I don't know, individual stocks we can't talk about, but sectors that uh, do better when inflation rates are high, and I would imagine those are Mm -hmm. out there. What are you looking for in a situation like this? Stocks or maybe stock sectors that that do well when inflation is, Mm -hmm. is going up? Well, it's it's kind of interesting because you look at it and say, well, what areas do well? Well, the things that do well are the things that go up. It may sound goofy in there, but <laughs> um, but you know anything that's going to you know beat inflation is going to do better. Now, our inflation is probably going to come back. There's an article that we'll touch base on, not right now maybe, but in a certain little bit, um, talking about what Sweden experienced with their inflationary rates versus ours. And though they're up a little bit from the norm for them, but they're still three percent percentage points less than ours. If I uh, Maybe got the article backwards, but nonetheless, considerably lower. So, so what you want to do is you want to look for stocks um, that are going to weather a storm in case we have a recessionary event or a slowdown. So to offset inflation, folks, you've heard it many times, but to offset inflation, it's an increase of interest rates to do so. And so as you start increasing interest rates, or if the Federal Reserve starts doing their tapering, uh, which means that they start buying less um, bonds that are out there, treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, it's going to have the same effect as slowing down the economy. And, and, and so the question becomes, is are we going to go into recession, not go into recession, I hope that so far it looks like the answer is no to all of those. Um, but if we do then, we need to make sure we're buying a stock that, one, makes money, and is going to make money if we have a recessionary event. Um, and so then you start doing your work and research and say, what types of stocks do well during that time? And, and so with that, then you look at something or a product or a service that's going to be in use no matter what. Even if we're inside of a recessionary or slowdown event, um, we start looking for those types of stocks and put in our portfolio. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this, folks. If you're sitting in a 401k or an investment account, a diversified portfolio, you have mutual funds, you already have managers that are doing this right now. They're already doing that type of work. And you can see that by some of the slowing down in the tech sector. A lot of these managers are pulling the profits out of that. 
and they put that money into what's called defensive stocks of the terms. And again, it's not defense as in war. It's defensive as in uh, they hold up better. That is already happening. That rotation is already occurring if you're inside of 401ks and mutual funds and this type of stuff. Those managers are already doing that. One of the guys that uh, has an article on MarketWatch, Neil Kaufman of Barron Healthcare Fund, seeks out companies, he says, with durable advantages and recurring revenue. A lot of them are in the, the healthcare field, and a lot of them are in the field with that, that manufactures uh, devices and and uh, implements that are used in the medical yeah. and medical research field. And he thinks those are going to be good uh, hedges against yeah. inflation. There's a, there's a stock that's out there, and I can never remember the name. I can't tell you anyway, folks, but I can never remember the name of it. And I always have to look it up so I just keep a, a morning star on my desk so I can look it up for the name. It's an odd name. Um, but this stock, what they do is they're in the healthcare sector, but they just manufacture the stuff that we need in healthcare. Um, uh, and uh, when you look at their stock, it's not really exciting, except it just keeps making money. Sales keep going up. Profit margins keep holding up or expanding a little bit. Their dividends keep going. They just keep making money. There's a product they use, all the stuff that we need to have if we go to the doctor, go to the hospital. And uh, and so I agree with that that statement from that article. Uh, boy, it's been a, a great sector, and it's been a great stock for our clients for the last year, year and a half that we've had this thing. One of the other things he suggests is investing in companies with a durable competitive advantage. And what he means by that, I guess, is uh, you want to look for companies with strong brand names, uh, superior technology, or the leader in a particular sector. And I guess mm-hmm. that makes a whole lot of sense. If you've got three companies that all do the same thing, pick the one that's, that most people know about and most people uh, use, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's the old uh, um, Intel AMD. Which one do you buy? You know, and, and uh, you know, you buy number one and number two and just let them have at it and split between or, or you know, choose that sort of stuff. And so Although, isn't, isn't, it doesn't thing. it come to a point where and we've talked about this in the past with things like Microsoft and, and even Apple, that you get to a point where the growth potential of a particular company slows dramatically because it's already as high as it, you know, is, is going to get, or it, it it's, it, the growth slows a lot more than something that is trying to build its way up. So yeah, the old product cycle thing. Yep. yep. You've got a company that, that is just starting out. It doesn't have a lot of name brand recognition. It's uh, it's products are not, you know, the first one that consumers think of. And yet that company has a greater potential for stock price growth than somebody that is already priced high and uh, is well known and won't move up as fast. So which one do you look at? uh, That's going to be better for your portfolio. Yeah, you, know, you always want the one that has a potential for going forward or is coming up with a new um, a new change to the product. Even though there's a lot more risk there. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to make sure it's got a proven product. Let me give you an example. This is the this is the college uh, example of looking at that. So a, a product as well as companies have a whole cycle. You have a point where they're just uh, really gaining momentum and really starting to take off, and then you have a point where they hit their maturity. So what companies or products try to do is they try to say, well, on the, on the product or um, uh, you know, company cycle, we want to back it up so that we're a new company and give it new products and services that everybody wants to have. And uh, you know, a couple of different companies you may have heard about, Tom, there's this one called Apple. You ever heard of them? Mm. Yeah, I, I, have, I have a number of their products, yes. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. Is, is, uh, uh, you know, when we were kids, Tom, none of the stuff that you own that I own that are Apple existed. They came up with an idea, and they changed the way phones worked. They changed the way uh, music worked. Uh, you know, they changed on everything because they kept reinventing themselves and the new products. I can't wait to see what comes out next. If we look at cell phones, 
uh, coming up here. And all of a sudden you have cell phones you can fold in half and put in your pocket. <laughs> I remember those days, Tom, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, we look at laundry detergent. You know, so we have uh, uh, Tide, and uh, now we have uh, Tide Pods. Now we have Tide Pods with lids that kids can't eat. Good idea, by the way. You know, now Tide Pods with, I mean, who knows what's coming. The whole, the whole new and improved uh, Yep, the whole new and improved. And so yeah. companies are the same thing. I mean, Microsoft for the longest time was a software manufacturer, and now they've convert, uh, converted themselves into not only a soft manu- software manufacturer, but a subscription software manufacturer as well as cloud-based services. And, and they're making a, a ton of money doing it. I mean, they're really doing a nice job. So they've reinvented themselves. And so companies do it all the time. So we just look at it as what do we think they're reinventing? Is it going to be uh, different and helpful to their bottom line and, and uh, going into the future? And how have they in the past, starting our, our uh, conversation here, how have they in the past um, made it so that um, they can weather the storm if we have a slowdown or recessionary event? Now, we only have to go back to 2008, 2009, and say during this period of time how these companies do, how they hold up. And so that might give us an indication course, nothing guaranteed, but it might give us an indication that if it happens again in the next year or two years down the road, um, how will they do then? And so it gives us a chance to take a look at that. All right, 715-845-2155. We need to take a break for some news. We're going to come back with more. If you have a question from Roll, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kid about mammography, breast cancer disease, screening, and treatment. Visit radiologyinfo.org. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch & Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio, Merle Kelch on location, but you can take your phone call, 715-845-2155. You want to touch on that article you were talking about, the inflation in Sweden and how that uh, relates or what we can learn from that here in the United States? You know, Tom, I have so many articles and tidbits sitting on this page. We're going to have to add an extra half hour to the show once <laughs> okay. I get started. Well, you so. just keep you just get going and then uh, <laughs> tell me when you want to rest. Well, okay. I'll let you know when that time comes. All right. Um, I want to start on a couple of different things because, you know, we, we're getting a lot of conversations right now and phone calls coming in our office saying, I don't trust what's going on. We just got to sell everything. Everything's terrible. And the fact of the matter is, folks, is it's not. Aside from what's going on in, in regards to the political spectrum, you know, one side saying everything's good, the other one saying it's bad or then bad and then good. Um, the economy is actually going along okay. So there's an article that came from, of course, my favorite economist, Brian Westbury. Um, uh, and he's coming out and saying, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. We're all right. I mean, the, the profits are coming through the banking sector. Things are good. We've seen the stock market jumping up as of late. 
because of the, the earnings reports that happened. So, you know, the down near and all-time high, I'm not sure at this moment if it actually broke it. I apologize. I should have that information, but I just didn't read that one this morning. But so we look at this, and though our payroll numbers kind of stunk for September, there's some interesting parts in there that I thought were fantastic. One is our non-farm payrolls, as they say, it says in this article, underwhelming 194,000 September. Well, what we you know, we heard, and so some people say, see, the jobs didn't go up. Well, that's probably a little bit too early with the falling off the unemployment for September. But um, in here, what's interesting is, um, uh, I'm going to get the other part of the article. Here we go. Is that the uh, um, the measure of job creation and the civilian employment measure of job creation was up a very healthy 526,000, so a little bit different measure of stuff. And more importantly, they put inside of this article is that what happened in September is uh, the increased number of hours rose at 0.8%, which, by the way, is pretty healthy. And so that's the equivalent of about an additional 1 million jobs that have been put out there, and the wages increased also for September. And so this showing the economy is actually pretty healthy. Uh, the number of actual bodies and jobs are going to get in there are going to be pretty heavy. We just, at this point in time, need to um, wait around a little bit because uh, his expectation is that the um, employment numbers for reports in October are going to be pretty good, and the GDP, which happened to be uh, 2.0 for third quarter, which doesn't sound like a lot compared to the numbers we had last year and earlier this year. Now, but they expect that to be an increase, of course, over the course of <clears throat> excuse me, third and fourth quarter coming out. So I'm hanging that the economy is doing all right. I mean, it's not doing tremendous, but it's hanging in there, and it's uh, profitable and doing well, and that's the sort of stuff that uh, we need to see. Now, he also says in here, that he uh, expects that uh, the interest rates and tapering uh, will probably start out this year. And he also thinks that it's going to cost Chairman Powell his job because nobody likes it when, uh, you know, you start increasing interest rates or slowing down the economy a little bit because of inflation. Um, but um, in here, uh, we'd expect it to be the case, but we've just got to try to take the politics out of it, as we've talked about so many times, and just look at the underlying numbers at this particular point in time. It appears to be that it's pretty good. Now, COVID numbers, and the reason I say this and put COVID into here is, is it might be one of the reasons we're not seeing vaccines jumping up quite a bit. So now I have to pull this page up here myself so I have the right number on. Um, in the COVID numbers, two studies that were done, one in Seattle and the other one in England, and it looks like for 65 under, if you've had vaccinations, and I'm not being pro-vaccination or against vaccination, so that's not my conversation here. Um, it shows that if you've been vaccinated, that the numbers that are happening um, uh, for you, and this is not regards to sickness, but in death, it becomes influenza if you've been vaccinated. If you haven't been vaccinated, the numbers are essentially what they were um, a year ago, a year and a half ago. And so what it appears as though is that there's a lot of people who are younger people, and maybe in their 40s and 50s that have been vaccinated, are not wearing masks and that whole bit, and are just going to town and... Uh, um, you don't have to, to work. You don't have to apologize for being pro-vaccination, even though I know a lot of people on your side of the political yeah. aisle are the anti-vaxxers. But I mean, it, it's pretty clear at this point. There was another. There was another news story today that that uh, said that uh, of the people in the hospital, uh, you have an eleven time greater chance oh, yeah, of getting COVID yeah. if you're not vaccinated. So, I mean, so, so again, I'm not saying. It, and my reason for saying this has nothing to do with being pro-vaccination or not vaccination. The fact of the matter is that it's working. Um, it's becoming the flu, and people are starting to get back to work more, um, whether it's in restaurants or different places, um, and, and people are starting to get work more, and I think that's where we're starting to get those labor numbers and that whole bit. 
And so it's going to take us some time, but we're going to get through this. So uh, an article that's out there, and I don't have the article sitting in front of me, but I have the notes in front of it. Uh, there's an article that's out here this morning that talks about excess um, demand that we have in the economy. This comes from last week, Tom. Remember we had chatted about, uh, we were sitting in the studio, and we had chatted about the fact that this might be entirely different than what we think that it is, um, because we may not be that we have as much as a, uh, um, a uh, pipeline problem uh, and getting stuff in our stream as much as we have a problem with stuff being able to get built into many people wanting things. And I'm reading those articles quite a bit throughout the course of this week, meaning that our issue is not as much um, an issue of uh, we can't get the stuff. It's more of an issue that we're getting too much of the stuff. Our, we're get, our demand is too high for us to be able to support it, and that appears to be a huge factor in this whole thing. Well, let me ask you this, because I saw an interesting tweet the other day. You know, we've got the situation, the supply chain problems, the ships that can't unload in California, the uh, not enough truckers to deliver all the stuff. And somebody tweeted out, American-made products don't have to shit on, uh, sit, don't have to sit on a uh, cargo ship outside Los Angeles uh, by American. And it makes a lot of sense to me that that would be something that, even if folks had to maybe pay a little bit more, for an American-made product, they might be willing to do it if they can get it. So uh, investing in American-made companies at this point might be something to look at, right? Um, not a bad plan at all. Um, but even the American companies are having a hard time with um, trying to uh, get through the demand. Um, and I am desperately trying to find this article, folks, and I just can't find it. Um, but in here... Um, when we have 26% excess demand and you have all this cash that's out there looking for something to buy, um, it takes your whole supply chain and sucks it up. So, um, Tom, our, you know, our widget company, if we're building 1,000 widgets but now we have to build 1,200 and we're still looking for a couple of employees, we don't have it, and all of our suppliers are, are having the same issue, it's hard to get it because the demand went up so high. And so it's going to take us time to spend through that and get through that um, in here, Brian Westbury says he thinks it's going to take as long as 2023 before we have some of that uh, fixed up. Now, there's a thing, Tom, do you remember school for just-in-time inventory? Do you remember that? Vaguely. Okay. Well, here you go. Uh, uh, trip back down Montmere Lane. Mm. My one so, economics class in high school, you vaguely. Well, that's all I remember. You just need to um, just got to remember that, and you're good. So is this company in Wisconsin called Harley-Davidson? You ever hear of them? Yeah. Okay, so... Um, examinations, you go back into the uh, the early 80s for Harley-Davidson, you get done in there before five bikes still left over on the dock, and there's still parts laying all over the place, what they're making throughout the course of the day, to them changing how they did their manufacturing process to using just-in-time inventory so that when the frames come in, that bike is already sold. And so at the end of the day, there's nothing left on the loading docks. There's no parts in place because they built the stuff for that day for the vehicles, so just-in-time. So mm -hmm. just uh, the parts come in at the same time. That's how car manufacturers are done today, too. So the problem with that, then, is when you have excess demand and you have shortages inside of the supply chain itself, um, it's screwing that whole process up, and that's part of the, the issues that are happening right now. And, again, it'll straighten itself out eventually as we come along. Uh, we just so have are, to give some time and be patient. Are you suggesting that people should take that excess cash and do something else with it as opposed to buying consumer products, invest it somewhere, or hold on to it until uh, the supply issues are fixed? I mean, can do people have enough... Uh, uh, discipline to do that, to I, not I spend when they have the money? Because let's face it, most yeah, Americans I, spend every penny they have whenever they have it. I think we just continue on doing what we're doing, but we just have to be patient. 
some of the stuff uh, that they found is that um, in here, and this is part of that uh, same article, um, is that um, we find that though there's excess demand, um, people aren't uh, um, saying, well, we don't want it. They're just waiting. So as a result, then, the manufacturers of the widgets um, don't have to decrease their prices. They can leave their prices the same um, because somebody's just going to wait for it to, to come versus in the old days, if you didn't want to make it, uh, the guy across the road would, and so it drove prices down. So at this really point in time, um, people are buying for it and waiting and becoming accustomed to doing that versus getting the instant gratification of buying it today. Not a bad thing, by the way. Um, but uh, we're finding that money's still going. They're just having to wait for stuff. We have some friends that bought a new refrigerator, and they had to wait uh, a number of weeks mm-hmm. uh, for the new refrigerator to come. So, um, you know, you're either going to buy what's on inventory or you're going to have to wait for what you want. Um, uh, but you're going to get it eventually, and that's how uh, people are starting to look at that at this point in time. All right, 715-845-2155. We need to take one more break. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day. Here's Chris Connolly. Do you believe that black cats are bad luck? On this day, October 16th. Plenty of people start something great in their 40s and 50s. Getting your retirement savings on track is no different. Go to Ace Your Retirement. All season is not all pumpkin spice and everything nice. Pumpkin lattes. The trees. Fall colors. It's the time of year when things get spooky. With the arrival of ghosts and ghouls comes other scary things. The weather change. Cooler temperatures. Freezing rain. Sleep. Check in throughout spooky season for the very latest. More gray skies. Gusty and blustery. True taste of fall. With your severe weather station. WSAU. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch & Associates are unaffiliated companies. And, folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch on location, 715-845-2155. The number to call. Let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? I'm Carl from Clover. Carl, you're on with Merle. Go ahead. uh, I want to find out what services people like Merle provide. If I have an opportunity to buy a share, like a $100,000 share of an unlisted cold storage company, is that something a registered rep or a Merle would uh, help me out with, or is that something I would have to do on my own? It depends. It doesn't have to be listed. Um, It just has to be public. Um, So that's what you'd have to find out. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, and people like you don't deal with a privately held company then no the privately held company you'd have to go with a private owner you know so if we you'll look say in the the wasa area there's a a company called colby and colby that makes windows and so we couldn't go in you and i carl and buy a stock of them because it's privately held so we won't be able to go in and buy the shares of colby and colby so that you'd actually have to you know contact the the private owner so that's what you'd have to know so is it a publicly held publicly 
held company or is it uh, just unlisted? So unlisted shares you can do. You just have to do a little bit of work in filing and how to get a hold of the shares. But uh, but you can do those. It just has to make sure that's publicly listed. That's the, uh, the key point here. And I could expect my registered rep to be interest, interested in helping me do that? Certainly so. It would be, uh, you know, a stock trade. There might be a couple more expenses and fees if it's unlisted. Um, but uh, largely, uh, yeah, it's just uh, like a stock trade as, as well as uh, any other stock that you'd buy. Just a little more complicated to be able to execute it. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 715-845-2155. We've got a few minutes left here if you have a question for Merle. I don't know. You probably saw the main headline on Market Watch this morning. The I first... was waiting for you to talk about it. <laughs> I'm sure you were. We have to have our <laughs> usual uh, conversation about uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. The first U.S. Bitcoin ETF looks set to debut next week yeah. from ProShares Trust. What can you tell us about a Bitcoin ETF? And it, it, one of the underlying uh, bits of information is that Bitcoin rises above $61,000, 6% away from an all-time high. Well, I'm going to take a step back to answer that article with another article first. How's that? Okay. So there's an article by Chris, Mat- Chris <clears throat> Matthews, pardon me, um, where the uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission um, has fined two cryptocurrencies, um, Tether and Bitfinex, a total of $42.5 million because of what they said they were doing. So again, folks, um, a cryptocurrency, especially um, Bitcoin, is nothing more than a computer program. It owns nothing. It holds nothing. So as a result of that, then, uh, both Tether and um, uh, Bitfinex have come through and said, well, we have, uh, a matter of fact, Tether, they uh, represent, they have stablecoin, which they claim is 100% backed by fiat currency, meaning by real dollar someplace, such as the U.S. dollar. Well, um, the uh, CFTC went through and um, in a study, and they would look back for a 26-month 20, period of time between 2016 and 2018 and found out, well, that's, that's not really true. Only 27.6% of the time um, it was actually backed by the full fiat currency. So, oops, that's an issue. So the other company, of course, found that they were taking our money as investors and commingling it into their pockets, too, which also is um, a big oops. So they got some big fines for this. So we've said it so many times before, you got to know what you're buying. Um, and so many people think that Bitcoin's the greatest investment in the world. And look at the assets of the Bitcoins. There's coins. There's no coins. It's a computer program, folks. So, so with that being said, so two firms that are trying to make it so that it has some legitimacy – by having it backed by real currency, um, uh, are having some issues and just got big fines. So now we come up with ProShares. Now ProShares Trust is a, is, has been a long time fun family. They do stuff. They do things that are a little bit an outlier. Uh, for example, if you buy the S and P 500 at 10%, you know they have the ability to leverage it into other percentages like a 15 or a um, a 20% because of how the leverage that they do with derivatives and all that sort of thing. And so derivatives, again, in themselves can be really volatile, and now they're sticking inside of a fund on a computer program that owns nothing. How do you think this is good or bad, Tom? Well, I mean, I guess it, it all <laughs> depends because, uh, it, you know, Bitcoin is priced right now at $61,000. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not going up. Uh, that, that part's not the issue. So uh, Mark DeCambray does the article here called The First. Bitcoin ETF looks set to debut Monday or Tuesday. 
from ProShares Trust. Again, good company. They know what they're doing, but again, uh, what they're doing in here is not so much buying the uh, ETF as well as they're um, buying um, uh, things, again, derivatives, futures. Um, and so uh, with that, then, uh, they're using that to create their ETF, um, and that can add some additional volatility as well as also having a cost to it because they're going to plan to charge 0.95% um, for the uh, uh, using their fund. Now, I, was, I was thinking that this would be a way for the average investor to have a bit of safety if they wanted to invest in Bitcoin instead of going on, out onto the Internet in the wild, wild west of trying to, to, to in, uh, invest in it. But you're still staying away. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's going to add safety, um, but I think it's going to add ease. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause you know, derivatives in themselves have the ability to, um, um, have their own set of risks cause it's not going to track the exact actual, or the actual Bitcoin perfectly, uh, but it'll be pretty close. But in here, <clears throat> we still have to look at the underlying investment on the inside. It's still a computer program. Um, and people keep going into it. And it's a big jump this past week is because this, ETF is, is coming out, and the belief is that more people are going to want to do it, more people buying it, and that kind of stuff is going to force the price up. But eventually, um, it still has to come back to roost, and it eventually comes back to me saying, okay, what's the actual hard asset that's doing this? And it's a computer program, and, and that's it. So I have an issue with that. Will there come a time when Merle Kelch decides that Bitcoin is safe? Well, I thought Tither actually had a pretty good idea with what they call the stablecoin, but uh, um, uh, oops, they missed on that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're just about out of time today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? All right, my friend. Uh, Monday morning we'll be in the office, certainly, on 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street in Wausau. Stop on in, kick the tires, say hello and hi, have a cup of coffee, and uh, uh, welcome Kim, who is new to our, uh, our place. Um, and uh, come bug her. She really likes that. Um, anyway... You can give us a call locally at 715-849-3600. Outside of the WAS area, toll-free at 866-355-5100. Or find us online at kelchinassociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again down the road. All right, my friend, see you next week. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wausau. It's coming up on 9 o'clock. We've got the news. The polka shows are on the way. A late Badger game today. It's a night game from Camp Randall which means the student section should be uh, well revved up and ready for that. They take on the Army and uh, from West Point, and you can hear that action right here, Badger Game Day beginning at 5 tonight here on WSAU.